The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Do you prefer Calvin Ball or whose line is it anyway? Either way, a lot of people sure seem to like to make up the rules as they go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with our trusted companions, Wade and Bob. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Hey, that's that's for you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These are these are very well scripted intros here. Um, Bob, thank you for that. Thank you for that initial enthusiasm. I'm no longer a guest. (laughs) No, you are. You are. You're you're in that. You're in that. What do you? What do you? You're in the pledge. You're pledging. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I thought that would go the nice way. That I'm like a recurring character or something. No, 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 no. You're like, you're like. What was it like? Charo on the love boat. You you come on a lot as, as the guest. <laughs> you, you love this wow, love that felt flat. Here. Gee, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Brings me back to the halcyon days of my youth. God. What can I say? Hey, I got a word for the day. Yeah, that's our word for the day. I was I was listening to the last podcast. Bob and the last two have had, he has thrown out some zingers. Let's see what he comes up with today. It'll be it'll be nice. It'll be nice. All right. So what, what are we talking about today, Bob? So uh, this should be. I think this will be a fun one. This is uh, talking about technical analysis. Um, so this is, you know, basically it's the one with all the crazy charts. So technical analysis <laughs> is, you know, when you see people talking about you know, all of these really weird things about trying to predict what kind of an individual stock or maybe an index or something will be doing based on what, how it's moved in the past uh, and relative, usually relatively recent past. That's technical analysis. It's using those, those charts. So price movements and also, you know, the liquidity and, and some of those types of things to really try and get a sense of, um, you know, what's going to happen next? How is the market going to be moving in the usually relatively near future? Um, so I think I, I can just get the get the joke out of the way first. It doesn't work, um, but it's still really, really common. Um, and yeah. <clears throat> So to put a little bit well, more... I thought you were going to teach us the techniques you use for your own trading today. <laughs> right? You're saying that that's not the case? <laughs> no. That's a big negative. I mean, you, you are talking about how you're watching uh, you know, CNBC and stuff. They're, they're real big fans of that, Alex. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got the pretty um, charts. It's got good visuals. got the pretty so. charts. got the crazy charts. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple things here because we, we did get this once, Wade. We were talking about... Oh, dividend stocks. We were talking about dividend stocks. And, uh, you know, there's nothing special to dividend stocks. I, I think it's more of a marketing play uh, for the reasons we outlined in the, in the podcast. Or it's a, it's a behavioral kind of thing where you like, you know, compartmentalizing things. But, you know, it, it, it can bring on more risk than what it's worth, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, someone wrote in saying, why, don't we, why didn't we bring somebody in that could talk about the, other, the flip side of that story, right? Well, it's our podcast, right? And <laughs> we, we don't want to do that. No, there's a sense that if you bring somebody in to provide a counter argument, then the counter argument is equally weighted. You know, like the 50% of the people follow it and 50% of the people don't follow it, right? For technical analysis, there's no way in hell that uh, we're going to bring in someone to bring in that proponent thought, you know, much the same way that I wouldn't bring in somebody here where there's somebody in the medical profession and then somebody talking about voodoo. It just, no matter how much the dark arts can, can attract somebody, it's just not something that, you know, that 
professionally we can do. I do have a question for Wade and, and Bob since you brought this on. You both have CFAs, Chartered Financial Analysts. Can I ask you uh, – designations so we don't get sued by them. Uh, can I ask you, as soon as you got your CFAs, how quickly did you want to get your CMTs? I think that's <laughs> Chartered Market Technicians. How, how quickly was it that you decided, I'm going to do this one? This is the, the Triple Crown. Yeah. I'm going to do know, this one. This uh, is step two. It was tough passing on the well, opportunity. The so. <laughs> But but in the CFA designation, they do teach yep. you about technical analysis. It is it's kind of schizophrenic where they teach you that markets are random and you can't really do this sort of thing. But at the same time, they also teach you the techniques. Yeah, still, Although I guess that's a little bit about what we're doing today as well. Tested on whether you can do this or not, uh, or at least follow <laughs> the patterns. So I don't know. Uh, to me, it, it's there's a little bit of you know point blank. Let's get it out of the way, right? And and if you don't like what we say, you can change uh you know to listen to some other thing uh but the reality is it's kind of lazy thinking you know uh i i I don't know what would possess anyone to get a cmt frankly professionally and you know you may be someone listening in and hating me and that's fine you know get in line kind of thing but really what what would it's almost like the person that got the cmt was a person in when they were taking the cfa they failed, so they got the CMT because that's that's what was left, you know. And they probably, while they were taking the CFA, were marking, were noticing patterns in the in the in the in the answer sequences of A, B, C, or D, and just went through <laughs> the trouble of like answering in that way. That, that's my that's my take, Bob. What do you think? I, you know, I think. <laughs> I will be honest. I think everyone does look for those patterns on those Scantron sheets. <laughs> uh, let's let's just all be honest with ourselves here. We are looking there. We are making sure that, you know, I haven't said B in a while. I, I got to watch out for those. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> it's probably just as effective, too. Yeah, exactly. Just as effective as well. That's but true. Uh, let's go, go. Let's go into the reasons why. Because I, I now, with my serious cap on, but not really. Uh, no, this is uh, look. It, it's an easy kind of thing. It's very easy. It's almost like the cliff notes of cliff notes, where there's no math involved. And how easy? Well, there's this sense that there's numbers involved, but there really isn't. And it's very easy in a new show to talk about resistance levels and ceilings and bottoms and floors and whatever, right? It just is. You don't you, you don't need to do a lot of homework behind it. And so it, it's an easy thing. And it gives this, this sort of false sense of, uh, what's the word here? Qu- quality analysis, you know, behind yeah. it when there's really not. I mean, there, there really isn't. And, uh, you know, Bob, take it away. Why Why isn't there? Why isn't there that level of analysis? Where what's the question? No, why 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 is this kind of a, a crock really? And yeah. and, and, well, the, and the like a good way of starting this is you know if we break this down and and look at it from from their point of view, you know what are four the kind of the the four big assumptions that technical analysis is making here? Um, then we can kind of start from there and, and start pulling it apart a little bit. So the first big one um, is prices are determined by supply and demand. That's really what they're looking at with those charts. You know, how is the price moving? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And that's perfectly reasonable. Um, and uh-huh. Yes, yes. We, we're done. We're done. We don't need to go any further. Prices are determined by supply and demand. And, and sure. Yes. Good. Uh, number two, supply and demand. That's yes, good. Yep, both have uh, rational and irrational components there. Again, yeah, okay. Check that box. But this is the one where I start thinking, okay, yes, but where are you going with this? Um, (laughs) The next up is it's difficult to sort out why shifts in supply and demand occur, but those shifts can be observed in stock price movements. Again, Sure. That sounds yeah, reasonable. Okay. Um, I, I, oh, I'll add this one. Now you add the wrinkle of after the fact, maybe post hoc. Yeah. Yep. That, um, that, that's the only now, thing I would add in parentheses there. Exactly. This is where we well, start. Well, anytime the price changes, it's a shift in supply and demand. Yeah. Right? No, again, on its face, that statement is absolutely true. 
Um, but it, you have to start wondering, okay, why are we making this statement? What are, what are we going to try and do with this statement? <laughs> it's when you start getting those slippery little arguments thrown in, like in political conversations type of thing. And then this last yeah, one first is first where it all falls down. Uh, security prices move in trends that last long enough for investors to act on them. So that knowledge of the past impacts what will happen in the future. That's simply not true. That's simply not true. Because all of that information has already been incorporated into prices. Um, you know, all but of Bob, that I can show you how my 20-year historical whatever model has has outperformed. So yeah. uh, I, I take umbrage with your uh, assumption there. Well, um, you know, if you did, you know, I mean, and, and we'll talk about this later on with some other stuff, but, you know, all of this is random. You know, all you're telling me is you're a really good coin flipper. You know, you got lucky for a long period of time. We're not talking about all of those other people who didn't get lucky, uh, who, you know, didn't do well over the past 20 years or whatever number of years you want to talk about. At some point, someone's going to do really well just by chance. Um, okay, and and I'll I'll just I, I just did it kind of like to socialize. I'm thinking about if someone's listening in and is a big proponent, they may say something like that. But you'll we'll answer this in detail later. Yeah, I mean, we can continue with the yeah, so, the sort of the, the foundational pieces. Yeah, so you know that that idea that knowledge of the past tells you what's going to happen in the future. Again, just straight up does not work. Uh, I, I don't know how to say it any more clearly. And we can get into kind of why and all this type of stuff. But most people agree with that statement. Even I bet if you were to ask a lot of technical analysts, they would agree with that statement, not realizing what they're agreeing to. No, I, 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 I yeah, and it, maybe there's patterns, but the idea that you can discern those patterns in a way that no one else has done, which is where it all starts to exactly. fall apart immediately, because once this sort of these patterns emerge, even if they work, as soon as people know about them, that's going to create a problem yes. on a forward-looking basis, right? Yeah, oh, no, wait, and- I don't buy a stock. I was going to buy, uh, I don't know, I was going to buy Tesla. You know, uh, at the beginning of the year, but I didn't want to buy it because it had gone down so much and it just wasn't ready for me to buy it. So I waited two weeks. It went up. I bought it. And now it's up another 60 percent. So there you're wrong. So you just gave up those two weeks of, uh, of returns then, huh? No, I, I'm just thinking uh, it's a bit of a straw man that I'm, I'm, I'm providing. But the reality is I, I think that's people think that. You yeah. know, we, we get that kind of feedback. No, but, uh, you know, I, I never buy a stock. I look at it for the last for the previous two weeks to see where it's going before I buy. And you know what? That works for me. Eh. <laughs> yeah. So part of that, I would say, is there's always the tendency stocks tend to go up over time. Um, you know, so there's there's always that there's a tilted random walk. It's not a big tilt, but, you know, it's there. Um, and you also were really good at fooling ourselves. You know, we've talked uh, you guys have talked about behavioral kind of finance and behavioral biases. We're really, really good at fooling ourselves. You know, we don't remember when we screw up or we choose to forget when things don't work out or there's a reason it didn't work out. It wasn't my fault. Uh, you know, who could have predicted what Elon Musk said? Well, Actually, that one, probably no one can, but um, <laughs> but there's always something else happening. Okay, but, here you go. Here are the academics talking about, okay, it's going to be about these sort of theories that don't pan out. And, you know, they knock me down because I'm, I'm using momentum. I get it. Yep, that's right. We're just we're just mean people. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, people say that, right? Yeah, I mean, no, you, you, you hear that. Momentum is... Momentum is an interesting case, and it's because there is some some stuff in the data where, you know, it, and you can use all sorts of different screens and things like that. But, you know, stocks that have done well in the past, uh, by and large, over kind of a diffuse, diversified portfolio, 
tend to do better than stocks that have gone down relatively recently in the past. And this is actually one of the really, really big questions in finance and investing right now. What's going on here? Because it's very, very firmly in the data. You know, there's a relatively big premium, depending on how you slice and dice things. Um, but why? You know, why are we seeing that? You know, we understand why stocks have a higher return than bonds. You know, we understand why, you know, value stocks over the very long term have a higher return than growth stocks on average. And we're going to be speaking about this and in we'll, future episodes. We'll get into that in, you know. Yeah, the, these episodes were kind of knocking down kind of certain pillows, pillars that right. shouldn't be standing. So the question now becomes, okay, all of that's really great. Why do stocks that have gone up relatively recently, why do they outperform stocks that have gone down relatively recently? And vice and, versa? And vice versa. You know, it's a premium. So it's, you know, the returns of the good stocks yeah. minus okay. the returns of the bad stocks. Um, so you can still, as, as we've seen last year with the value premium, both sides of that equation were negative. Everything went down, but the value premium was still pretty darn big. Um, but going back to momentum, I think most, at least intellectually honest people who are doing momentum, you know, AQR and, and all these other firms, they'll be among the first to admit, yeah, I don't really have a good story for why. I just know it's there. Um, I just can wait. Look it's at the it's data. supply and demand. It's supply and demand. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, maybe it is. Um, you know, maybe there's some media effect. Maybe there's some analyst effect. Who knows? Um, we don't have a good story yet, and they're simply saying, "Okay, we've got I don't know thirty years of data, data on this." Jagadation Tipman was, I believe, in '91. That was kind of the first paper really talking about this momentum effect. We've got 30 years of data where everyone knows about this, and it's still there. So the chances of it going away are relatively small. On the other hand, you have people like well, myself who look at this and say, yeah, that's really weird. It's probably not going away. But before I want to put my money there uh, or put clients' money there, I want to have some understanding of what's actually going on here given that we have all these other kind of other ways of approaching this. So there's a yeah, lot and, going on there. So I, I think uh, if someone's listening, I think one of the key points you made is that you're looking at this from a portfolio construction level, not necessarily individual yes. stocks. This isn't what we're talking about right now is not right. technical analysis per se, but it's more like there's a funny little thing called momentum in the stock market. And, the reality is is that it does exist, but there's no story behind why, and that's important at the fundamental level because it it, it helps gives this foundational reasoning why, why 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 something is there. If not, you're always in danger of data mining. You know, yeah, you're always in danger of doing kind of silly things. You know, from a scientific scientific perspective. Now, could it be used within the portfolio construction construct? In a diffuse way, yes, it, it can be, and we'll get into that later on. But this is not the technical analysis that we are talking about. You know, we're talking about you know how it could be used on potentially portfolio construction and and using it to our advantage, in addition to the other complementary factors. But in terms of what you're listening to on CNBC, where they're talking about the head and shoulders, this and that, and, and all of that kind of stuff. That's silliness. That's something completely different. And and we were alluding to it earlier. I, I, I don't know why it's so per, 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 pervasive within the industry because studies will show over and over that that it is silliness. You know, we're, we're not going to just review them. And, and frankly, even if we did, I don't think it would matter because at the core, the story behind it kind of just doesn't hold and so there, there, there's it's it's not necessary. But Bob, what what do you, what are, or Wade, what what are I don't know. Just on a personal level, why do you think are some of the reasons that you know it, it, it's taken advantage of, or you know, what are, what are four big advantages that you could see? Let's say if it did work, that they have, you know, that people kind of hang on to. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. 
Learn more at mclaneam.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Well, yeah, I, I think Bob's talks about a, a couple of potential advantages that are identified, oh, and this is clear. even in the Actually, CFA curriculum. Wait, since we're, we're talked about this, um, <laughs> yeah, Bob said. you mentioned that this is in the CFA curriculum. These four advantages are literally from the CFA curriculum. So, Wow. Cool. Yeah, so, but it's, it's quick and easy. It's quick and <laughs> it's easy. One of them. I like that. <laughs> it, it doesn't require digging into company balance sheets. You don't have to worry about accounting data and price to book ratios or anything like that. Gap, map, who it cares? Does, <laughs> it, it does bring in the idea that there's some sort of psychology because of that, this idea that there's rational and irrational factors at work in determining the movement of prices. And it gives you some clues about when to buy and sell particular assets. Yeah, so, so those are the advantages. But I mean, I mean, think about <laughs> does it. Does it work? Would be the big question. We'll teach you how to trade in the stock market without teaching you anything actually about the stock market, right? It's kind of the lazy person's way of, of thinking. And and just if you take a step back, every freaking scam in the world, when you peel the onion far enough, it's about hey, look. Lots of money, no work, here you go, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, there were those commercials. I, I don't know whatever happened. I think it was I will teach you to trade or, or something like that on weekends, those, those infomercials where it's a red light, green light, yellow light signal. You get a green light, you buy. Red light, you, you sell. Yellow light, I don't know, maybe, right? And they would teach people this, and they would bring them into these hotel ballrooms and stuff like that. And they made money by, by you know, by preying on the marks. Really, at, at the end of the day, no one made money on. I'm sure of, of doing this, even though they had these testimonies, which I don't know how they would do legally, but whatever, <laughs> right? But the reality is, is that it's just it's 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 silly, you know, on, on in these levels. They they really the four big advantages is it's quick and easy, doesn't include data. <laughs> You can go home now, you know, incorporates psychological factors and it tells you when to buy and sell. I mean, it's like a genie. Yep. Right? Yeah, no, my favorite example of this is one of the big kind of systems of how people do this is called the Dow Theory. And it was created back, I want to say in the 30s, uh, based off of Dow, um, you know, editorials that he wrote. The guy who created the Dow Jones indices. Um, there was a, you know, pretty soon after it kind of was systematized, there was someone who in the 30s went back and looked at, okay, how did this actually do? It was, uh, what was his name? It was Alfred Coles. Um, he looked at, okay, is it better to buy and hold a bunch of stocks, you know, over this this time period? Or was it better to, to follow this Dow theory? And you know, from the period 1902 to 1929, buy and hold one. Um, so all the way back in, I think it was 1934, we knew this thing didn't work. People are still using at least a modified version of Dow theory right now, um, nearly 100 years after it was already shown it didn't work. But it gives you well, a really sounds nice fancy. Answer. The word theory is in it. It's must work. Right. It's a theory. <laughs> it gives you one of the big advantages. It gives you definite answers. A lot of the other ones, you give two people following the same approach, the same set of information, they'll give you d different answers. Most of the time, people doing the Dow theory get the same answers. So it's much more scientific. I, I think something that yeah that that brings to mind when you're talking about this because. There are, you know, people can look can look backwards into data and mm -hmm. identify patterns that actually did work. You know, they can do that. They can look at, you know, they can provide these backward looking sort of machinations and say, aha, here it is. Right. And then they, you know, they go forward and when they do or, or they publish an article on it, everyone knows about this. And when those things happen, they kind of they, they kind of like, well, it could be random, 
But more importantly, when everyone kind of knows about it, it, it dies out. I, I know Swedro loves to write about – I forget the article that he points out, but something along the lines of there, there, there are various trading strategies that you can look back and figure out, oh, wow, it, it did work. But as, as but they're done – again, post hoc. They're done after the fact mm-hmm. because there's no story, because there's no like risk story behind it, because there's no this overarching kind of thing. And you said something interesting about trend in general, but when you start really you know giving it these – sort of interesting twists and turns to these strategies because there's no real story behind it. It kind of dies out once it gets surfaced. And these folks have this – and I'll say it one more. And these folks then, these technical analysts have effectively a get-out-of-jail card, which is, oh, I just need to refine my model now. Mm -hmm. But if you're constantly refining a model, constantly refining a model because it no longer works – Remember, you never had a foundational story for why it should even manifest to begin with. So if you're constantly refining, constantly refining, constantly refining, then after a few years, your model looks something completely different than what you started with. It's almost like if the value, a value moment, a value factor strategy became a growth strategy without knowing after a while. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it, you're giving yourself the get out of jail card to kind of resubmit and revise, or revise and resubmit, revise and resubmit. When in fact, there shouldn't have it shouldn't have even it should have been like rejected from the very beginning. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's entirely data mining and not even good data mining at that. Yeah, and to just so data mining is if you look at data long enough, you can see some sort of pattern, and whether or not that pattern reflects something that has a true economic story behind it or whether that pattern is just the result of randomness. Like it's the whole idea of when you look at clouds, you can see images or faces or things and that's called pareidolia. And I, I had to look that one up yeah, beforehand. That's going to be my next question. I was like, wow, where did he come up with that one? <laughs> but I'll, Wait, what is it I again? Like Para- it's the same thing. Pareidolia. It's the <laughs> looking up at the clouds and seeing a face or, or, seen an image in something where there's clearly not an image. The human brain is designed to recognize patterns in randomness. And that's what I think a lot of this technical analysis is, is if you look at random data, eventually you're going to see some sort of pattern in it. And that's then, does that pattern mean anything? And is it useful on a forward-looking basis is no, the big question at that point. I agree. I, I think, look, I, I think what really put this to rest for me, and I don't I don't know the study off the top of my head anymore, because once I read it, I, not that I read it, but once I read about it, I'm more of a abstract kind of guy, and I go to the conclusions afterwards. But once I, I came across it, I was like, okay, there, there's nothing here, time to move on, you know, and, and I don't bother. But there was a study that, that effectively, you know, gave random patterns to folks. Literally gave random patterns to professional chartists. All right, and then uh, gave stock patterns to those professional chartists, and it asked them to indicate which one's fake and which one's real. You know where I'm going with this? They 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 couldn't tell the difference. All right, and so sit back and think about that for a second. You know, all the people that are listening in and, and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, but what if? Yeah, but, you know, that kind of thing, right? So think about if I were to give – I would create random, like, heart rates. You know, what, what do you call that thing when you take a – you know, they get your heart – EKG. Yeah, EKG, right? You get an EKG, right? Remind me, Bob, to go to the doctor after this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get random, like, heart rate patterns, right? You create them. You create random ones, just so whatever. You just go crazy, right? And then you have actual EKGs, and you show them to a doctor. I think you'll get a completely different sort of result. They would know, like, hey, this person should have been dead 10 years ago versus, okay, this person, you know, whatever, right? Uh, and so if a professional cannot tell the difference between just random charts and, and an actual stock pattern, and the random charts, they were giving it all, oh, this is the head and shoulders, whatever. This is the dead cat, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And what does that tell you about the profession? It's a joke. You know, you, you need to run. And, and like when you, you hear this thing on, like, I, yeah, CNBC, when they get into the whole, oh, well, uh, the, 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 the S&P is definitely hitting on resistance. And I wouldn't buy until it, it drops below this because that's the sweet spot. Those guys have no clue. What the hell they're talking about? 
They really don't. They're just saying that because it fills up airtime. And it's easy to say, and it comes across like this air of erudition, but it, it's it, it's just like complete silliness, you know, it, to a degree that it's professionally irresponsible. But you know, they go ahead and do it because it's easy. It's easy, and it's 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 sometimes you gotta like strip out the the reasoning to its basic core, and it's just lazy, easy thinking, and that has been the cause of who knows how much lost money, which is the real issue here. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we're not trying to listen. I, I wish it were. There'd be a lot more people with with you know with with more assets in their retirement accounts. But the fact is that the inverse occurs, and so uh, you know. It's one of those that we can't be nice and just say, oh, okay, it's another way of doing things. No, it's an irresponsible way of doing things. Yeah. Yes. Um, plus, it <laughs> takes a lot more time than doing it right. So. Yeah, I mean, and so so you got to ignore that, you know, from, from the standpoint of, oh, I don't want to put money in because we're in a, I don't know, cup saucer chart or whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> you make that one up. <laughs> no, I think there is something called cup saucer. No, there is one. Yeah, I, I, I forget exactly what chart <laughs> here, but there, there is a cup and saucer <laughs> chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will say this. And Bob and I share this. I love the names that they give them. <laughs> I love the names. I wish, I wish we had like creative names like this in in indexing strategies. <laughs> Bob, you wanna? I mean, what? Well, no, but but even these names give it the sense of like trade floor sort of uh, savviness, which it's it's silly. I mean, Bob, what what are some gems here? Yeah, you're the so, uh, yeah. Some of my favorites are Bollinger Bands, detrended price oscillators, uh, vortex indicators. Oh triple... wait, wait, wait! Before here, here. Well, go on, go on, go on. Sorry, I see where you're okay. going with this. Triple lending. My my favorite is the ultimate oscillator. Uh, we also got Coppet curves, Donchian channels. Um, okay, but wait, I've got a question for you. I made up <laughs> one of those. Which one do you think it was? Well, triple ending sounds like a figure skating jump. So. <laughs> no, it, it's, not, <laughs> it's 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 made up, but it's not a figure skating jump. Come on, wait, wait, triple ending. Is that where you start backwards, spin three times, and land on your right leg? <laughs> no, no, no. It's from the movie uh, Back to School. It's a Rodney Dangerfield movie. Uh, he goes. Back to school to – he's like a, a guy from the streets, right? Never went to college, et cetera, but was successful. Plumbing? Was he in a, a plumbing thing, Bob? Things? We've been talking about it lately. Uh, he, he, go, his, he joins his dad. He joins his son and you know, one of these kind of father-son movies. And he was, a, a, he was famous for jumping off like, like piers in like Jersey Shore or something like that. And so he joins the swim team. And the swim team is losing – and his son's on the swim team. And so, Dad, you got to jump. You got to come back. You still qualify for the NCAAs. And so he says, all right, fine. And his famous jump was the triple ending. So you have Rodney Dangerfield doing these backflips. I think it was on three boards, hence triple. <laughs> and and a legend is born. Wait, there you go. The triple yeah. ending. No. Yeah. So, oh, so that was the right answer. Yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it, but not figure skating. So I'm not not giving you full credit. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, but we can make jokes about all this stuff, but and it's really easy to do. Quite obviously, channel. What the hell is that? Stretch to come up with this joke here. Um, You have the Donchian channel. What what is that? You know, I don't even remember. I came up with this list a while back, but I, you know, all these channel, are... that sounds like Lord of the Rings, and you're trying to go in. Do you know how they went in through tunnels that were dangerous? Mm-hmm. It sounds like, oh my god, we got to go through the Dantian Channel. <laughs> okay. Um, <yeah. laughs> Sorry, Bob. Sure. Leave it there. Um, but I, I think broadly, one of the things that you're going to find when you start looking at these things is. Technical analysis really falls into two broad viewpoints, and they basically cover the entire spectrum. So there's contrarian views, 
which are investors are usually wrong. So do the opposite. Um, and then there's the quote unquote smart money view, uh, which still says everyone's dumb. Uh, most people are still wrong, but the smart people know what they're doing. Uh, so follow the smart people, follow the institutional folks. Now, one thing I'll call out, how big do you think the institutional market is relative to, say, the retail market? It's pretty massive. So between those two ideas, do exactly the opposite of everyone or do what the institutional money is doing, you basically have everything. You can do pretty much whatever you want and it will fall into one of those two categories. And, you know, we can get in. I don't want to get into all the different theories. We already talked about, you know, there's we mentioned Dow theory earlier on, um, but there's things like just, Elliott wave principle and stuff go, like go, that. Going, going, going back to that comment, I'm just trying to make sense of it because the first time I'm hearing it in, in this manner. Are you saying that they cover both angles? So they, the, the theories, the broad viewpoints cover the entirety of market participants. Yeah. Hence, what does that mean? Because I, I, I kind of think you – I kind of think it, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, hence, what that means is you can justify whatever you want to do. Um, you know, it's it's one of those where it's a theory – or it's a solution in search of the theory to get you to that solution. You know, if you think that – Cisco is going to do well over the next week, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's something in that chart. There is some theory out there that will say this chart says Cisco is going to go through the roof. Um, you know, there's also some theory out there that says Cisco is about to crash and burn um, using the exact same set of data. And it is just a matter of okay, which one do you pick? You can get you whatever after. you want. Which one can you which one can you identify after? Because there's also I would think that before, aspect, absolutely. Before it just depends if you're a pessimist or an optimist, I guess, right? That's effectively what it comes <laughs> yeah. down to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with this smart money view, is it what's the modern world of technical analysis? Is it people are supposed to do this on their own or are they supposed to buy funds where they, the experts running the I funds? I guess it depends on what you're selling. Analysis for them? Are, you, are you selling a book to tell them how to do it themselves or are you selling a fund? <laughs> well, smart money view was like that guy. To. I remember Laszlo Birini. I don't know if, he, if he's still around, but he would follow the institutional fund flows. Yep. You know, that, that kind of thing. I think they even mentioned him in the book Predator's Ball where it was like equities in Texas was like uh, investment bankers that were terrible. They sent them down to Texas to work on equities. And I think Barini could have been part of that group, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean he was a money manager that made his living off of just selling the idea that I'm following institutional fund flows. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the reality is this. If you're – if, if you the, – the folks that make the most money – off of these trend following strategies are newsletter publishers. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, and those folks aren't regulated as advisors. You know, they're publishing companies. They can write whatever the heck they want over and over and over and over. And it's not like if you're if you're and and if they shoot out 10 potential things that could that can work right and two months later one of them works they're going to point out hey our strategy worked for etc 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 and then the ones that didn't they're just going to bury them and you're not going to hear from them again and they're going to perpetually publish stuff like that over and over and over or they're going to say hey our three stocks returned ten thousand percent over the last 10 years or, or, or something like that because out of the 500 stocks that they recommended, one of them happened to be Amazon, right? I mean it, it's very easy and they're going to they're gonna point to some sort of trend-following strategy that, that led them to that thinking. You can do that when you're publishing newsletters because you're just not held accountable. It's, it's, it's simply like CNBC too. They're not held accountable. Nobody goes back to CNBC and says, hey, Tuesday, three months ago, you said this based on the resistance levels, and guess what? It didn't work out. So now what? They're going to say have a Coke and a smile and move on, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, 
I don't know. I, I don't know where I went with that other than like, yeah, they're, they're giving themselves – they're giving themselves always a get-out-of-jail card you know, by, by the way that they're, they're presenting this. And, and Bob was 100% right. They're, they're solutions, if you will, in search of something. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. So I think the most important there was a Coke and a smile. Where's, where's that from? Bob, man, those are commercials, man. (laughs) Those are commercials. Have a Coke and a smile. And it's actually a reference to uh, Eddie Murphy. I think it was Delirious, the stand-up show. <laughs> now you asked, right? Eddie Murphy, Delirious, and he, Eddie Murphy would cuss a lot, right? And so uh, at the time, Bill Cosby got in his case. Of all people, Bill Cosby, right? Bill Cosby got in his case for, like, cussing. Bill Cosby always presented himself as the family man's comedian. The irony is deep, right? Uh, you know, the family man's <laughs> comedian, et cetera, et cetera. And Eddie Murphy wasn't having it. At that time, you got to remember, Eddie Murphy was like, the star of Saturday Night Live had a best two best-selling albums, stand up, and was on the top move. You know, was number one mm-hmm. box office person, and so he's there at top of the world, and, and he's like, "Oh, Bill," Co-, and he's talking about the story how Bill Cosby contacted him about cussing, and Eddie Murphy just says, "Bill, enter cuss phrase, have a coke and a smile," <laughs> and that became kind of a, a soundbite if you okay. grew up in the eighties. So there it is. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Side note, side note, Bob has never seen The Godfather. That's right. Which I think is a failure on on many levels. Wait, have you seen The Godfather? I have seen it. Wait, Bob, Bob, Bob. Huh? Let's let's set the stage here. So Alex, (laughs) as you can probably tell, his undergrad degree is actually in film. He was a film major in school, which actually I think should tell you a lot a lot about him. Bob, um, everyone just dropped off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what? I'm I out of here. Seen Godfather. At this point, it is pure, pure spite that uh, Alex keeps, <laughs> keeps telling you I have to. So I will not do it. Well, I mean, it's art. And no, but Bob initially said, oh, it's because it's beyond my time. Bear. You know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, that's a silly answer. That's because. Yeah, but so what? It, it's it's a stupid answer because it's not like I know I've seen citizen. You know, I wasn't born during Citizen Kane. I wasn't born during Rashomon. I wasn't born during whatever. You know, all these movies at at a certain point. I, it's your job as an American citizen to, to watch. <laughs> In fact, I showed it to my kids. I want to say about a month ago. Okay. You know, simply because it's how can you not? It's art. Godfather Two is coming up, but. How do we get into this? Oh, you asked me about have a cook and a smile. <laughs> Wait, I don't know. What do you think about this whole Godfather nonsense? Well, I still haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen Godfather two yet. You haven't seen Godfather? Oh my goodness! Wait, <laughs> Godfather two in many ways is better like than Godfather time. one. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing film. I mean, I, I'll just leave it at that. I'm just now I'm stunned. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to technical analysis. Yeah. I, I don't know how to recover from this <laughs> movie choice of of you two. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, have a coke why and a smile. Doesn't this action? Work? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are the reasons why why shouldn't technical analysis work in practice? I, I guess that's really the the main thing we should make sure we've covered in enough depth to not have the entire episode be a bashing on technical analysis without any sort of uh, reason why we don't think it's a, a good system. Voodoo is not so, good enough reason for you, Wade? Well, Bob, you've pointed out, yeah, since the 1930s, there's been these studies that just show the stock market, it's really a random mm-hmm. walk with drift. That's As a long-term investor, we do expect the economy to grow and, and for stocks to rise over time. But for any given day-to-day movements, the the idea of the random walk is we don't know if tomorrow's stock movement would be up or down. Absolutely. Technical analysis tells us we do know, we can predict. 
we have a much better than a coin flip chance of knowing future directions in a manner that goes beyond just the general trend upward over time. And if that's the case, like if that's kind of the whole, the whole point of this conversation is if there was some way to be able to predict better than a random chance, what the market was about to do, wouldn't that cause people to use that technique in a manner that then wipes out the ability to have that predictive power? It would get baked into the price. I think that's ultimately, uh, if if people know about technical analysis, everything that we know about technical analysis, even if it was correct, should get fed into today's current price in a manner that there's no way for any additional predictive power to be there. Because if there was, we'd use it. <laughs> and we'd if we predicted that the market should go up tomorrow, we buy the stock today and that pushes the stock up today such that then tomorrow becomes random. And and that's the biggest problem with something like technical analysis, right? It just simply doesn't uh, provide any sort of mechanism for us to think there is still predictable power beyond what we already know. Uh, exactly. I, I, I agree. And I want to... I want to just say how that echoes the previous comments and why that's important just on a foundational level from an investing framework level, right? So there is no persistency, right? There is no persistency because there's no economic reason for there to be this sort of advantage, right? And this is different than, let's say, the value premium where people know about the value premium, but it still persists, right? And so we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, when we talk about value investing, right? But there is no persistency here. And so that's the ultimate, it's rudderless because of that. The second piece to to bring out, and this is when Bob was making his point about smart money and contrarian contrarian views. You can have these two viewpoints about it. It sets yourself up on a human level to give yourself this out because you can then provide why it went up based on technical analysis or why it didn't work based on technical analysis, and then you need to refine your model, but you'll get it next time. And that's just, you know, that's like what a flim-flam man sort of does, you know, when when he's setting you up for a con, really, uh, ultimately. And so you you just need to be aware of those things, uh, that it, it, there's no, when there's no science behind it, you know, it looks like it's science because look at these charts and all that. But when there really isn't any, Anything there from an anchoring perspective, you just simply need to move on. It's as simple as that. And, and I think Wade said it. Wade is pointing out the persistency. And the reasons that we said earlier in the podcast are lack of a foundation and this openness for various, various interpretations that are very convenient. It, it, it sounds like astrology to me at that point. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's kind of, <laughs> it falls along the same sort of category. It's like I said earlier, the human mind is designed to look for patterns, even if they're finding those patterns in what's otherwise random. And thinking you see all these patterns in, in stock market movements, it just seems to me like it's taking that same sort of natural human tendency in the direction of trying to predict stocks in a manner that just can't really be done in practice and that we've known since at least like the 1930s that can't be done in practice. Okay. And, and that's really all there is to say about technical analysis. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Uh, let me, <laughs> let me maybe bring it to a little practical thing. Uh, Bob, have you ever used technical analysis in any way, shape or form to get into or out of a position? Uh, no, no, I have not, Alex. Okay, no, no, fair enough. I'm just, you know, and this is not like dollar cost average or this or that. This is just like, have you ever thought, hey, I've got money's burning in my pocket. I want to put it in, but not yet. I'm just, so people know that we, we walk this talk, you know. Wade, yourself, and I didn't ask anyone beforehand, so I'm flying blind here. Do you imagine if Wade says yes all the time? Wade There's some yourself. officers who are uh, throughout our careers <laughs> no, listening no. very carefully. No, but do you, do you use this any in any way, shape, or form? No, no, there's the general idea is stocks hopefully will go up over time. And so if you have money to invest, just put it in the market. Don't try to say, oh, next week it's going to be a better investing environment. Yeah, when it hits the moving day average or something like that. All right. Yeah. And myself, I I think you know my answer. It's a big no. 
So uh, there we are. Anything else for today? No, that'll do it. But we maybe preview what's coming next, Bob. Yeah. Now so that we've gone through technical analysis. Next, next week, we're actually going to talk about, I think, something that's actually a lot more interesting, which is fundamental analysis, which is when people are trying to predict what a stock price or a price level or whatever it might happen to be should be at. Now, it doesn't work for most people. Uh, but it does provide some really, really important stuff going on in the markets. And we're going to dig into what exactly that means next week. But it's a much, much more interesting story to tell than technical analysis. It just don't work. Uh, fundamental analysis, it works depending on your definition of work. All righty. And that's where we have to start digging into balance sheets. That right? is where we start digging into <laughs> so balance sheets. You actually have to do anything. work. You actually yeah. have to do work, unfortunately. <laughs> there are actual spreadsheets involved in this one. So, Yeah, okay. but Bob, you're a wizard at Excel. Don't something. worry about ah. it. <laughs> All right. Bob, well, have a coconut smile, buddy. Anyone wanting something <laughs> quick and easy? <laughs> What'd you say, Wade? I'm sorry. All right. So thanks, everyone. No, I was looking for something quick and easy. It sounds like fundamental analysis may not be the, the one for no, me. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right everyone thanks again uh, appreciate you spending the the time with us and we'll catch you next week yep take care everyone wade and alex are both principals of mclean asset management and retirement researcher both are sec registered investment advisors located in tyson's virginia the opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 